everyone and welcome. My name is Andrew. And I'm Rachel. And we are Picture the Scene Podcast. We are a true crime podcast aiming to put you, the listener, at the scene of the crime. Each week, we delve into the murky world of lesser-known crimes from the UK and Ireland, and occasionally, we venture into renowned cases from around the globe. Now, if you like what you hear, please do follow us on whatever social media platform you prefer, subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform of choice, and if you have the capability, give us a rating review as well. It really means the world to us. So, if you like us that much that you actually want to support us, crazy as that may sound, you can do so for less than the price of a cup of tea or coffee on Patreon, with our lowest tier starting at one pound per month. We release bonus content every month. The link's you just say up. It, Sorry. You say it sounds crazy, Andrew, but we talk about lots of different crimes on these podcasts. So supporting us for our work in researching and writing actually doesn't feel that crazy. No, and our Patreon episode, I think, are a little bit more interesting than our yeah. ones. Um, we go a bit, try to go a bit left field on them. But the links to our social medias and our Patreon can be found in the show notes or visit patreon.com forward slash scene pod. That's P A T R E O N dot com forward slash S E E. Sorry, forward slash S E E N E P O D. Forgot how I spelled it then for a moment. Um, <laughs> We do, where possible, now release our episodes a week early for our Patreon supporters. So you don't have to be Charlton Heston and time travel to a planet of the apes to experience the future. All you have to do is support us on Patreon. Isn't that right? Wow. There you go, guys. There you go. It's getting harder, though. So as with any true kind podcast, listener discretion is always advised, and today is no exception. Now, this episode may feel like it's a little short, and that's simply because it is. But I put the vote to our Patreon listeners who wanted to hear it. And it has a really interesting twist at the end, I think. So honest, aren't you? Yes. Some listeners may feel this is short. That's because it is. <laughs> it's interesting, though. They don't have to be long, do they? That's that's what my wife tells me anyway. Anyway. <laughs> what, though, what I would say about that is... Um, I usually listen to my podcast subscriptions when I'm out on walks and the short ones are great if I've like been really busy throughout the day and I just need like 20, 25 minute walk versus like a one hour kind of, I've been sat on my butt all day. I better get out for a, you know, a, a seven or 8,000 stepper. So, uh, so yeah, I would always say, um, you know, our listeners are probably grateful for the odd um, short one as well. How are you doing, Rachel? I'm good, thanks. As Andrew reminded me pre-recording today, I'm getting bigger. (laughs) No, he didn't. I'm seven months pregnant. He didn't mean it in a bad way. And uh, he was just stating the obvious. Um, But yeah, I'm still uh, mobile, which is a good thing. That's good. Charlie, she's actually looking very radiant, which is why I mentioned it. Oh, you're so kind. Well, are you and the addition that you have with you ready for some true crime? Yes, let's go for it. Can't wait. Great. So if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you to relax. Close your eyes and picture the scene. Today, I'd like to take us back to the 10th of June, 2016. And we're visiting Salford this time around. Now, Salford is a city that lies within Greater Manchester. It was a market town for around 700 years, give or take but then it became a city in 1926. 
it was always an industrial city, but as with most northern cities, it's had to try to adapt and change over the recent decades and now hosts several tourist spots and is home to several BBC departments. It was the birthplace of many famous people, including the band The Happy Mondays and Paul Scholes, to name just a few. The whole band were born in Salford? Well, that's what the internet tells me. Wow. Not, not not that impressed about Paul Scholes. He was always a bit of a grumpy footballer and obviously played for Man United, so he can do one. The internet may be wrong, though. Uh, <laughs> but these days, Salford is home to around 130,000 souls. Now, on this summer's day in June, the 10th to be exact, in 2016, the weather was a little bit of a mixed bag, Rachel. The day started off with rain, but by midday it was sunny, and then from 6pm onwards, the rain returned. Now, with the weather we've had lately, with the weather we've had lately, nothing would surprise me about autumn, winter, spring or summer. True, true. Now, it's this rainy summer evening that we're visiting, and it was around 7.30pm in the evening with the weather holding steady at about 16 degrees Celsius or around 61 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, as it was June, it was still daylight outside. And it's during this wet but bright summer's evening that we visit Hope Street in the area of Broughton in Salford. Jacob Gorski, who was 20, and his brother had been to what was their friend's house, uh, Peter Olijazuk, who was 28 and lived on nearby North Street. The three of them had been friends, but the night before they'd had an argument while drinking, so they'd fallen out. Oh, the dear. Ar- yeah, oh dear, indeed. The argument had been about cocaine. Oh. Now, Peter had agreed to get some for Jacob, but Peter wasn't a drug dealer. I think it was more of a favour for a friend, but when it hadn't materialised, an argument issued, and Peter chased Jacob out of his home with a kitchen knife. That's, I mean, that's quite thats quite some way to go for a friend, isn't it? Yes. I mean, if, if, if one of my friends texted me and said, can I borrow your hair straighteners? I'd be like, yeah, sure, that's fine. But if they said, can you score me some coke? I'd be like, no. Draw the line there, says mate, go somewhere else. Exactly. Now, Jacob and his brother, they'd gone to Peter's house to finish the argument from the night before. <laughs> That's never finished the is argument. It? No. Yeah. I, I mean, I take it you mean violently, not like, oh, I have some angry words, I need to get out. Well, actually, I don't think it was intended to be violent. I think they wanted their money back. Okay, right, yeah. But I guess, like, what I meant is not just to, like, finish the argument. In terms yeah. of, there were words that I did not get to say yesterday, and here they are. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. No, that'd be on. So when they realised, though, that Peter wasn't home, they decided to walk to the nearby shops. Now, as they were walking down Hope Street to the shops, it was now closer to 7.45, they saw the man they were looking for, Peter. Now, the three of them argued briefly, not for long. It wasn't a physical fight, it was just a verbal argument. And Peter turned away and walked into his friend's house. Now, unbeknownst to anyone else, he'd actually gone into the house to get a knife from the kitchen. Oh. Once he had gotten a knife, oh indeed, he came back outside, making it obvious that he had a knife and he wanted to continue the argument with Jacob and his brother. Now, from witness testimony, it's widely accepted that Jacob did approach Peter, 
but not to argue. He was trying to reason with him and get him to put the knife down. And when and how he, much, sorry, how much money are we talking about here? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing if it was just one hit, it would have been like under a hundred pounds. <laughs> I love the way that you've got no idea, have you? Um, would it? I don't it know. Would, it would have been a lot less than that. Yeah, it'd be like oh. half, if not less than half of that. Yeah. So, so Peter's pulling a knife on his ex friend at this stage over a nominal amount of money. Well, I think by now it had turned into not the money; it was just an argument. Yeah, that's mad yeah. though. Like, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I guess, yeah, it's the heat of the moment. People aren't thinking about the fact that their actions have consequences, but yeah, my rational thought is telling me what the fuck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he attempted to disarm Peter, but unfortunately for Jacob, it didn't end up well as Peter stabbed him once in the chest before running away. Paramedics were called and Jacob was rushed into emergency surgery. The knife had penetrated Jacob 12 inches and as such had gone straight through his heart and out the other side. Oh my God. One stab wound all the way through the heart. Yes. Yes. So sadly, as you can imagine, Jacob died while he was having emergency surgery in the early hours of Saturday, the 11th of June, 2016. Oh my goodness, that's mad! Like, and do we think it was just potluck that Peter struck there, or? Yeah, I think so. I think so. From as with any crime scene, the police cordoned off the area in which Jacob had been stabbed, and they put a police officer on guard until they had fully processed the scene. After twenty-four hours, Peter approached one of the officers who had been stationed to protect the crime scene, and confessed to be the man that they were looking for, the man who the man who had stabbed Jacob. Yeah. So, unsurprisingly, he was promptly arrested and taken to the police station. At the police station, in his first interview, he said that he had defended himself as Jacob and his brother had tried to rob him. Jacob had struck and kicked him, and Jacob's brother had taken his fold, which he had dropped. He said that he had a knife on him as he used it at work to cut sandwiches. He then said he had used a knife to scare Jacob off, that he had no intention of hurting anyone and he had wanted to get back to his friend's house and wait for Jacob to go away. That's mad because, like, I was just about to say, you know, commend him for confessing to the policeman and clearly not being able to live with his conscience, but then he just comes out with a pack of lies like that. Like, you know, what are you wanting to do, mate? Clear your conscience or just, like, try your best to get off scot-free? And um and also, who the hell unless unless he's a sandwich maker, who the hell carries their personal knife around to cut their sandwiches? Like, yeah, I, I think he did make sandwiches at his job. Oh, okay, okay. He <laughs> like... just like you know, you know, like um Joey and friends carries a fork around to eat cheesecake. Yeah. Just could envisage like this man go, oh, there's a sandwich there. I'll take this knife out, cut it. Yep, here's a piece for you, a piece for me. Yeah, no, unfortunately not. So and he also told the police that the day before the fatal incident, Jacob had asked him to get him some co- some cocaine. He said that he told Jacob it would take twenty minutes, so Jacob had hit him. He then said he told Jacob to leave his home. So that was the first interview. In the second interview, he essentially expanded on the account that he had given, 
He had stated Jacob had lunged at him and that he had stabbed himself on a knife. So he had stabbed himself by moving forward. In the third interview, he was told that there was evidence that he had obtained a knife from his friend's address. Wow. So he then asked to consult with his solicitor. And in the fourth interview, when they came back, he admitted that he had been lying about the knife and that he said he had done so because he was scared. He said that he had he had obtained a knife in order to scare the men so that they would let him go home. So initially, three men would be arrested. Peter, obviously, and after he had spoken to the police, two of his friends. One of them was the one who lived in the property that Peter took his knife from, and another who had been there at the time of the incident. However, the CPS, that's the Crown Prosecution Service to our non-UK listeners, would ultimately only charge Peter with murder. When the case went to trial, Peter would admit to manslaughter, but not to murder, so it went to full trial. So basically, because he was admitting to the act, but not to the intention, a medical witness was called, but only to confirm the cause of death, and the case depended solely on witness statements from Jacob's brother, people who had been with them when the initial fight broke out on the day before, and the people who had been there on the fight when the stabbing occurred that knew them along with a couple of witnesses that didn't know either the accused or the victim. It's a really tricky one, isn't it? Because you are accepting manslaughter. You know, you've you've accepted that you had the knife, that you plunged it into his chest and that he died as a result. But how? I mean, I guess his defence team aren't needing to prove that he went out of his way to get that knife to kill him. It's the prosecution that are left to prove that he had the intent to kill that night. And like that's where it gets really tricky. And it would be very difficult for a jury as well, wouldn't it, to um, yeah. understand his like where his head was at. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's funny she just mentioned that the prosecution's case was that Peter murdered Jacob by deliberately stabbing him in the chest with a forward thrust of the knife. That's important because remember Jacob, uh, sorry, Peter said that Jacob lunged forward and went onto his knife. But yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was the prosecution's case. And Peter's conduct, it was argued by the prosecution, had not been reasonable. They would argue that he had been in a place of safety, his friend's home, and he was not in imminent danger when he returned to the scene armed with a knife seeking out a confrontation with a man unarmed who had been 100 to 150 metres down the road. The evidence that the prosecution relied on was it consisted of CCTV, which captured Peter chasing Jacob the night before in the initial arg- argument about the cocaine. Also, because remember, Jacob, he, Peter said that Jacob had hit him in his house and left but the CCTV showed Peter chasing Jacob with a knife. So that was contrary to um, his statement. And also the evidence of both Jacob's brother and two witnesses on Hope Street who all gave evidence that the blow was deliberate. A taxi, yeah. Yeah, a taxi driver would also give evidence that Peter was basically attacking Jacob and Jacob was defending himself. So... 
you may be thinking, well, this is pretty short and pretty uneventful. I did warn you at the top of the episode it was short, but I think it's about to become a lot more eventful than anyone would think. Well, actually, maybe. Maybe I'm not overselling this here, Rachel. I hope I'm not. <laughs> maybe you're not overselling or maybe, maybe I am. I don't know. Maybe I am. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I can't even get my words out of my mouth. Who knows? Um, so the trial would conclude with the jury reaching a majority verdict of 11 to 1 that Peter was guilty of murder, so he would be given a life sentence with a minimum term of 21 years. Oh, wow. So this is where it gets interesting, though. When the court had reconvened so the jury could give its verdict, one of the jurors passed a note to the judge via the court workers. Now, in that note, it was claimed that the jury foreman, a Lionel Tweed, which is an awesome name, by the way. <laughs> Lionel Tweed. Yeah, had gone against, yeah, the, the, the note said that he had gone against the rules of jury service and he'd acted improperly, potentially putting the decision at risk. So while the judge noted this, he obviously carried on with the sentencing the next mm-hmm. day because that was the procedure. The judge did, however, then refer the, to the police what was said in a note. So remember, jury duty is at random, but the foreman has to be decided by the jurors once 12 have been selected. Although in some instances, the foreman can be selected by the judge. In this instance, Lionel put himself forward. Now, the jury foreman's main job is to be the jury's representative and manager of sorts. They're responsible for communicating the jury's needs or concerns to the judge. Other duties are managing jurors, like I mentioned a moment ago, coordinating deliberations and delivering verdicts. So Lionel, he was 54 years old, he had a stable job, and he'd never been in trouble with the police. Up until now, that is, because obviously... um, He was about to be. (laughs) Yes. So it's no surprise, really, that when he was arrested, he would admit to everything, because he wasn't a criminal. What it seems happened is that at some point during the deliberations, one of the jurors had asked if they had national service in Poland. Now, I don't know why, but I'm guessing it was to see if Peter had combat training or not, to see if he would have known how to handle himself, or if he was inexperienced to determine if it was an accident or not. Oh, well. I'm guessing at that anyway. So Lionel had responded with a yes, they do, which in itself... There is nothing wrong with, as he's drawing from his own knowledge. However, that evening, once he had got back home, he did a Google search. What he searched for was, do they have national service in Poland? And the next day, he then proceeded to tell the jury what he had found. Now, he must have realised he'd done something wrong, because the following day, he Googled, Will you be sent to prison if you're on a jury and search for information online? Hang on. So all he searched for is, do they have national service in Poland? Not, did yes. Peter go to the national service? Yes. But then he told them, yes, they do. Um, yeah, but so. I would, I'm sorry. Like, obviously, I've never had a juror's handbook and I don't know the, the laws. But I would, I would think that as long as you weren't Googling anything, pertaining to that specific case. No, you can't look at anything that 
could link and you also can't then pass that knowledge on. You're not supposed to get the knowledge anyway, but you then wow. can't pass the knowledge on. So, but there's genuinely no ill intent there, is there? Well, potentially, He's obviously just not potentially not read yeah. his handbook properly. Well, yeah, maybe. So his mobile phone, his iPad and his laptop were searched and the investigation revealed that towards the end of the trial, he had conducted internet research to find out about compulsory military service in Poland. Now, the the investigation revealed that an article was found which identified that military service in Poland ended in 2008. And that search again was repeated after the deliberations had begun. So he'd actually already searched it up. And then when they started talking about it, he searched it again. So... Now, he would get taken to court himself, and he pled guilty to two charges, the first involving research by a juror and the second sharing that research with jurors. In his defence, as you alluded to, Rachel, his barrister simply said that, so this was a crown court, so his barrister simply said that he, got, that he took his role too seriously and he got carried away. Which probably sounds about right, doesn't it? He probably got too like too too over involved. Well, he wanted to be the fountain of knowledge, didn't he? Yeah. So he would be sent he would be found guilty, obviously, because he pled guilty. And he would be sentenced to four months in prison. Oh wow. Imagine that. You go on a jury, you or you leave your work temporarily to to do jury duty, and then you end up serving time yourself. Yeah, exactly. So now, yeah, you may be thinking, well, that wasn't too bad. The information was not important. But, you know, he broke the rules. Mm. So I'm sure you can guess what would that would lead to now, can't you, Rachel? He lost his job. Oh, unsafe conviction. Yes, it led to an appeal. The appeal was based on the fact that twice the jury had returned to court to say that they could not reach a decision on his case until the judge said that there was evidence that he could not share with them, so he would accept a majority verdict. Now, after those instructions, it took the jury just 21 minutes to reach a majority verdict of 11 to 1. So I'm guessing that there had just been a one holding out. So Peter's defence argued that this made the conviction unsafe, and it had to be quashed. So let's start with the note, shall we? Because I know that was passed to the judge. Because we know what Lionel did, so we just need to look as if if it made the conviction safe or not. Yeah. And, I, and I say we, you know, I mean the appeal judges had to look at this, not me and you. <laughs> oh, um, good. <laughs> so the note that was passed to the judge said this. During the last session, before a jury came down with a verdict, one of the jury told me he had previously read about this case in a newspaper report in June of this year. Should he have mentioned this at the time he was selected to go on a jury? During our deliberations, he made strong suggestions, I have a hunch, that the accused was a violent person that knew how to handle a knife or may have been in the army. These comments possible affected some of the other jury members' decision. Wow. So what the appeal judges had to, and I'm guessing, like it was probably one juror who didn't want to find him guilty, pass this note on, I'm guessing anyway. 
So what the appeal judges had to look at was, did this make it unsafe? Well, they said to begin with, the charges and conviction of Lionel didn't automatically make the murder conviction unsafe, but that it could potentially. They had to look at, did Lionel, as a foreman, have more power over the other jurors and possibly influence them? And did the extra information influence the outcome? So they then had to treat the information that Lionel shared as new evidence, as if it had been introduced at trial. The appeal judges concluded that actually, like, they also tried to talk to, because under law, you can't find out about what a jury spoke about or speaks to them about the case after it's happened, unless something criminal has happened. So in, oh, this right. in, so in this instance, they were allowed to actually go and speak to the jurors and say, did this happen? But the jurors yeah. still have the right to refuse to answer okay. uh, because it's seen as private. Now, when they spoke to all the jurors, only two of them agreed to answer questions. One of them said he they didn't remember anything. And the second one said that they did remember someone bringing up about national service. So the appeal judges concluded, so that's just, so they didn't really have the jury's evidence to go on. So the appeal judges, judges concluded that ultimately the jury had to decide in the, in the trial one of three things. Was the stabbing an accident? If it was not, was it self-defence? And if it was not, was the intention by Peter to cause serious harm or not to Jacob. So they concluded that the evidence of military service in Poland would not have impacted the outcome of the trial, so the appeal was rejected. Yeah, can I just play that out a little bit further? So if if it had have been found to have made the conviction safe, would the juror have then had to have gone back through a sentencing like process to extend his term because surely then there would have been some sort of malice on his side, not no. just innocently googling something, but trying to you know divert the course of justice or something. No, because it already been through the process, so so he wouldn't. But there would have been a retrial. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely but, yeah. for Peter. No, I get that. It's it's more like you know, I guess if if that had been found, would that juror have? faced further punishment but okay makes sense there might have been additional charges but on those two charges he couldn't be taken to court again okay if he had been found not guilty he could have been okay so yeah it's a bit of a short one but i just thought it really interesting because i i can't remember last time i've heard of a case where a juror has been convicted as well yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot in the press about jury members not acting appropriately post-conviction. Like, you know, they write books, they come out with, like, sensational, like, news stories. They sell, you know, obviously they, they have to be on these high-profile cases to get the likes of The Sun and The Mirror interviewing them and things like that. But I've never seen or heard of something happening in a live environment in court that's led to uh, a jury member being convicted and I can't help but feel sorry for him not for Peter Peter deserves the 21 years behind bars he took another man's life but um this juror 
something pulling at the heartstrings there where there was I, I believe some genuine innocence and probably a little bit too much of a proud kind of man trying to you know have all the answers and share the knowledge impress exactly. others exactly yeah because I agree completely I mean I feel sorry for him he shouldn't have done what he did and he do get strict instructions so he can't say he didn't know because obviously mm. he the day after he googled basically when I go to prison for this so yeah. he kind of like must have realized his mistake but but I re- do you not reckon that might have been because everyone was looking at him in shock yeah possibly yeah if you if you if you went back into the room the next day and somebody said to you by the way I did google that last night and I found that out I don't think my face would be able to hide my horror if I'd have obviously read and digested the 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 handbook. I don't think I'd be able to hide the fact that, like, mate, you sh- you really shouldn't have done that. Like, let's not address the elephant in the room right now because we'll make it worse. But you know that that wasn't a good move. Yeah, you've also got to think like Jacob's family. They released statements initially that they were happy Peter had been sent to jail for such a long time but then they would have had to go through the torment of knowing this was happening and then knowing that he could potentially be released from jail awaited a retrial Mm. or or potentially I mean the CPS may have decided just not to proceed with another um, retrial they could have done that so so they also had to go through the anguish so well yeah I feel sorry for Lionel he caused extra suffering, pain and anguish, mm-hmm. even if it was only mental to the family of Jacob. So there is that there. So, yeah, it's it's a lot shorter, that one. But I just like the twist at the end with the juror and our Patreon supporters wanted to hear that one as well. Yeah, um, I think it uh, it sheds a bit more light, doesn't it, on, I guess, the importance of that role and, and how... Um, you know, it is taken very seriously by the court as well. And they've essentially they've made a oh, what's the word? They've made an example of Lionel, yes. haven't they? I think so, yes. Because it seems an excessive sentence. Any sentence would have been made him feel with shame, I guess, wouldn't it? Because he yeah. was it was an upstanding man, he wasn't a criminal, and he would have lost his job and everything else. Okay, shall I wrap this one up then, mate? Mm. So this has been season three, episode 21, called Should I Google That? <laughs> if it, and if it's safe for you all to do so, I like you to relax, close your eyes and picture the scene. Often you hear people say, I'd love to be on a jury. I'd love a good trial. And let's be honest, if you ever got on one, even if you knew you shouldn't, would you go home and Google the information you heard in the courtroom? Now, only you can answer that question. But mm, now, not now, but, I wouldn't. Yeah, but now, yeah, now you've heard this case. Is a quick Google search worth a jail sentence? Absolutely not. Exactly. So, thank you, everyone. And next week, we'll be coming. Rachel, I know she had a little bit of a hiatus from presenting cases, but she's back with a bang and she's got a massive case, which I don't know much about other than the a few headlines I'm looking forward to listening to. And Rachel, right, it should be good, shouldn't it? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's double header, so um, we will be releasing uh, one episode 
immediately after the other, will we? Or one day after the other. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're you lucky people will get two episodes next Tuesday. And Wednesday. And Wednesday. Yes. Well, no, they they won't. Sorry. You lucky people will get an episode on Tuesday and an episode on Wednesday. You don't want to hear us talking about the um, logistics of it. So thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this case, even if it was a little bit shorter. And we shall see you next week. Bye.